0: We're going to talk about your marriage instead, so how about that? Um, we're going to talk about the end of your marriage, not the end of the world. Um, uh, but really, realistically, this if you were here last week, you came back. That's amazing. I'm so glad you came back because last week was a tough message, was it not? Because we know, I presented some material, we know what kills Divorce. Uh, some research done by uh, Dr. John Gottman. He's a secular uh, psychiatrist. Uh, he's been studying marriages for over 40 years. And by hooking like, electrodes up to people and, and, and monitoring their, their behavior and videotaping them, uh, his, his team has been able to predict divorce with 90% accuracy. And we talked about these four things, these four indicators of divorce. Uh, He calls them, ironically, the four horsemen of the apocalypse of your marriage. So we'll review them real quick, but today we're going to give you hope on how to combat these four major elements. Last week I framed them. But I, I pushed them into the realm of the spiritual because, yes, there is a clinical aspect of it. So if you're a right brain person, if you're all about the facts, if you need the data, well, the data shows it. But also there are spiritual principalities behind these things. There is a, an evil spirit it's been unleashed on marriages that wants to mock them and dismantle them and destroy them. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, okay, so when, first one of the horsemen of the apocalypse is criticism. It's very simple. It is the critical spirit. It's that thing that down inside of you says, I can do it right, you're doing it wrong. And the, 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 that critical spirit, again, it seeps in and it judges and it points fingers, and it's awful, and it, it, it's one of the things that, that will begin this cycle of, of uh, the downward spiral of a marriage. So if you're constantly critiquing your spouse, if you're constantly judging them, you just need to pull that into perspective. You need to just catch yourself and make sure that you're not being overly critical. There is a difference between being critical and having a fair argument, having a fair disagreement, and that's what we'll begin to flesh out. Okay, the second horseman is disappointment. Uh, it is offense. It is that thing, that defensive spirit. Let's call it defensiveness, all right? It is when something happens and you get disappointed, you don't take responsibility. So have you ever had this defensive or offensive spirit inside of you where it's, just, it's not your fault. It's their fault. Right? The reason why we are in this situation is because you did this to me. That is the, the, the general idea behind the spirit of offense. How defensive are you? when arguments arise it's actually one of the very first dysfunctions of relationship in our history it we get we see it on i don't know what day it was uh but adam and eve dealt with this very same dysfunction eve was the first one to pick the fruit she took the bite and we have what we call the fall right the fall of all mankind she opened up pandora's box and all evil gets shed on the earth And Adam is right behind him, and he takes the second bite. And probably worse than eating the fruit was his response when God confronts him. Do you remember what his response was? His response was this defensiveness. He would not take responsibility for his actions. What did Adam say? He says, I ate the fruit because of that woman you gave me. Isn't that funny? And we still do this to this day, this defensive spirit, not willing to own up. And today we are going to learn how to own up. And then probably the worst is it is the worst, most dangerous of the four, I believe. This one actually bumps it up to 95% accuracy is the spirit of Contempt. If you, in your relationships, you let the criticism go, if you let the defensiveness go, and the, the that uh, being offended all the time, always hurt, always wounded, if you let that go, it's going to breed, it's going to develop into full-blown contempt. And that one, is, that one is a killer. They actually gauge that. Like Once people move into contemptuous behavior, where it's not just you don't like what they do, you just don't like that person. Their very presence makes your skin crawl. Once you move into that territory, you're 95% done. If you just really don't like that person that much. That one's, that one's scary. And then everything that blocks the progress of growth, of health, of maturity is the last of the horsemen it is stonewalling or it's the ostrich you're just gonna stick your head in the sand and not deal with the problem you choose to emotionally disconnect and and this is mostly a guy thing by the way 85% of men will stonewall because it's like well we've already had this conversation we've already fought this fight I like I'm just done I give up I quit I'm stonewalling, and guys will emotionally disengage, they'll go to the gym, they'll grab the remote, they won't deal with the problem. Well, women do it too, of course, but they just do it in different ways, but mostly guys are the ones that, they're the first ones to disconnect. And so if you're ever feeling like you've dealt with this, you're not alone but there is hope, and we're going to talk about the solutions. We're going to talk about the antidotes. Well, while there are four horsemen, today we're only going to be talking about three of the antidotes. So let's just take a look at the first one. The first one is you're going to have to build strong love maps. What in the world does that mean? Do you remember when you first went into that romantic relationship? when you first got into it, you are, in a sense, you're on a journey to discover who that person is. And you ask all kinds of open-ended questions to discover who they are. And in that process, you begin to develop a connection and a bond and a curiosity. And all of that is extremely healthy. When you've been married for 10 years... You quit asking questions. You quit understanding who your spouse is. And so when we begin to develop a, a love map of our, of our spouse, that means that you know who they are. And just because you're living with somebody doesn't mean that you actually know them. And I am not the same person now that I was 15 years ago. And so my wife has to continually discover who I am, and vice versa. My hopes and my dreams and my desires and my fears, they have changed over time. And so I don't care what season of life you are in your marriage or in a relationship or even future relationships, like. If you if you plan to get married someday, you just look. Please, everybody married. Everybody that has been married will agree with me on this one. Please pay attention. Like if you pay attention to this message, it will save you from years of pain and fortunes in counseling. Take notes, kids. One of the reasons why we're doing this Strengths Finders marriage course is because let's figure out how to understand our spouse better. Like we're going to give you a quiz. We're going to do like these personality tests. I think they're okay. Like they're not going to solve your problem. The Myers Briggs isn't going to solve your problem. But if you can use this technology, these you know the the, the Strengths Finder, the Zeusa Pacific developed the Strengths Finders test. And so they, what, what Kathy and Aaron are, are teaching in, in se- September, I want to encourage you to sign, sign up. Don't stonewall that thing. Sign up for this thing, but it will show you that it will combine your strengths and your desires with how you relate to one another. And this is what we're talking about, about building a road map to your spouse, understanding them. Why is that important? It's important, because we need to begin to develop the ability. To empathize with our spouse. It's it's such an important key because the um, Bible tells us that the, the heart of a man is desperately wicked. And that means that usually most people, including myself, we are so self-centered and we're so all about our own little worlds, and we th- we just we get stuck inside of our own heads, and we think that the world revolves around us. But when you are married, when you become one flesh, when you move into a sacred union, that all changes. And what I'm challenging you today is to get inside of the mind, inside of the inner world of your spouse. This is such an important key. You need to think like they do. You need to understand how they feel. Again, their fears and their desires. You need to understand what their, what their imaginations are. Do you know the inner workings of your spouse? Can you empathize with them? Once we begin to understand even the history of our spouse, I have a book on my bookshelf. It's called um, uh, The Dummy's Guide to Mako. I actually made it. I got one of these dummies books, and I printed Mako's face on it, and I, I put all the words together. I'm like, That's, I, like I, I have to be a student of my wife. I need to understand her. I, I need to get a PhD. I'm just, like, getting out of elementary school right now. Right? We are so different, aren't we, men and women? I don't understand you guys. You guys are crazy. You make no sense at all, right? It might, right? Preach. We just don't understand each other. This is why we fight so much, because we don't have the ability to empathize. We're not seeing the world through their eyes, and this is what I'm encouraging you to do. You need to see the world through your spouse's eyes. You need to feel what they feel, the hurts that they hurt. And once you do, once you cross into that, Like it does it becomes a game changer. When you go into those conflicts and into those fights, you'll keep it as a conflict. Conflict is unavoidable. You need to learn how to fight and you need to learn how to fight fair. And I'll push it even further. You need to have conflict in front of your kids and fight fair. I have the power to destroy my wife with a word. But I choose not to. I choose to fight fair and honor her in that place. Now, with the ability to understand where they're coming from and to empathize from their point of view, when you get into that big, ugly fight, your perception changes. Oh, this reaction is coming from a place of deep pain that happened in the past. And with that knowledge, you will be able to love your spouse better, and you won't take as much personal offense when it, when that uh, conflict gets unleashed. Right? Whenever tensions get hot, and and it's just, it's just you know the steam starts to you know, get hot and boil over and what, what happens is is there's just like a lashing out. And if you get lashed out on, but you're understanding the source of this pain and the source of this pain is not necessarily you, even though that you're a big idiot, if the, the source of the pain is not you, you will be able to love through the situation. So developing uh, this roadmap, understanding, having the ability to empathize, and that will give you the ability in a difficult situation to compromise. Compromise is actually a very important key to any relationship. If, if you've been married, you know, you know you have to compromise, right? You can't always get your way all the time. We have, a, I'm a dog person. So I've always been a dog, we've always had dogs. I just, I prefer dogs over cats. It's always been the way that it's been. And so, um, yeah, I have a 10-year-old girl, and so, you know, girls like kittens, and so we had to get a kitten. I'm like, oh, do we have, I don't like cats. I don't wanna get a cat. And I'm a <laughs> who's gonna win this argument, right? My little daughter or me? So I, I cave, and then, uh, of course the cat, the kitten had a sister, And you can't have the cat be alone. And so the sister came with the package. It's like, ah, she got two cats. So, and then the sister ran away a couple months ago. One of the sisters ran away a couple months ago. And no, no, we have have one cat. We got one cat. And I'm like, ah, yes, thank you, Jesus. Answering my, (laughs) answering my prayers. And so Jesus answers, well, it doesn't turn out this way. So we got this cat. And I'm like, okay, we're down to one cat. And then the enemy started working. And um, they, go to this, they go to this pet rescue place. And they just get sucked into this thing. And so they Shimmer can't be alone. She needs a, a pet. I'm like, no, we're not getting a cat. Mako's like, yes, we need to get a cat. Sophie's like, we need to get another cat. Shimmer's alone. Like, no, we don't need, a, we don't need another cat. So Mako's saying we, we need another cat. I'm saying we don't need another cat. And so we compromised, and we got a cat. <laughs> so, that's how it works. That's how it works, gentlemen. And, <laughs> and here's the fun part. The cat that ran away came back (laughs) two, two days later. And so, within two days, I went from one cat to three cats. So, that's how it works. All right, the second point on overcoming these four horsemen of the apocalypse is that you need to begin to develop a shared admiration and respect for one another. Shared admiration. Basically, it just means you need to be nice to each other. Basically, if you want to boil it down. So um, again, we all talk. We talk about the you know the the love that dies. Fondness goes both ways, and so you need to begin to develop a fondness for one another, especially when you know you're hitting. You know, five years in, 15 years in, is there a fondness? That you, and again, it is a, it is, you ever heard of the term that marriage is work? Well, this is what we're talking about because, well, I just don't feel like loving my spouse at this moment. That doesn't really matter. You need to do the hard work and you need to choose to be fond of your spouse, you need to, this combats that, that horseman of the apocalypse, that, that critical spirit. So you get to choose to be critical or you get to choose to be fond of your spouse. To speak life into your spouse. There is so much about the power of the tongue in the Bible. It is, we must pay attention to it. One of my favorite verses is, is uh, Psalms 18. Excuse me, Proverbs 1821. And I like this translation. Words kill. And words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You get to choose. Isn't that a great translation? Words kill or words give life. They are either poison or fruit they fruit, and you get to choose which one, and it's usually in the heat of the moment. So in, that, in the heat of the moment, within a split second, you get to choose whether, whether life is going to come out of this conflict or death. Not literal death. Well, sometimes literal death. But definitely spiritual death. You can spiritually kill off something in your spouse or something into the relationship, and it's all tied up into the power of the tongue. Now remember the big bad boy on the block of these horsemen is contempt it is this it is this, the contempt for the other person uh you've been watching the news it's it's it like If our country was a relationship, it's like the most dysfunctional relationship in the world right now. It's a hot mess, right? Would you agree? But I think that this is what's going on. I can't find it. I read it yesterday, but there's an article in Charisma Magazine about the positive things that are going on in our government. Like for the first time in 150 years, Congress is actually praying. So at the top, what the news is reporting, it's all really bad stuff, but At the grassroots level, there's something going on in our country, and this is encouraging to me because part of my, I'm a a free will kind of guy. I believe that God gives us choice. There's power in the choice, and we we have the power of free will. So we get to choose. there's, There's brothers and sisters in Christ that don't agree with me on this, but we get to choose the destiny and our outcome. And I think the choices that we make In the current season that we are in, we could possibly push the needle whether the Lord's going to come back or not. If we screw this thing up, he's coming back. That's just how I think. I'm off the pulpit because, you know, that's just whatever. Let's get back on it. Um, So... There's something going on in our country. I don't quite have a handle on it all, but I will tell you this. All this stuff that's going up and the conflict that we have and and, and the riots and the race stuff, I believe that is a revelatory expression of what God is doing. And we can all agree that racism is is sin. It's evil, right? We agree with that? If you don't, uh, let me work on you a little bit. If I can't change your mind, beat it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... um, Because uh, I can, if you're prejudiced, we can work with prejudice. Everybody prejudges everything. It's just inevitable. It's just our human nature. It's our human condition. And we can work and we can teach. Prejudice is teachable. Um, Racism is not. It is that spirit of supremacy that's, what, that's the heart of what we need to get into. And so what's happening is there is, I think that God is just revealing all this stuff and he's revealing the sin that is within our nation and we get to choose how do we respond to this sin. So although it seems like it might be the end of the world, I think it's a really good thing. He's, he, that's what God does. He exposes and he shines light and uh, the this, this sin of racism and slavery is one of them. I think what's next is I think the entertainment industry is going to push perversion too far. Like right now, it's all acceptable, it's all cool, we're all relevant, Um, you know, but mark my words, some entertainer is going to push things too perverse and too far where the public can't stomach it anymore. That's what's up next because he's revealing. He's handing us over to the desires of our flesh. Our nation is being judged right now. And how we choose to respond to that judgment, again, I think is going to push the needle one way or the other. Either way, God wins. But let's just see what happens. Now, how did Jesus, when Jesus was walking around, they thought it was the end of the world too. All right, there was that same weight in the air. There was that same heaviness. There were signs in the sky. There, you know, I don't know if there was an eclipse, but there was definitely signs. And So we see this thing. But here's the, what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not hit the streets in protest. He didn't challenge the Roman government. He said, pay your taxes. I still don't like that one. <laughs> Give to Caesar what Caesar's. No! That's a bad translation. Let's rewrite the Bible. I don't like that one. But that's what Jesus says. So he doesn't choose off in the way that we would want him to choose things off. How does Jesus change the world? He doesn't do it by protesting it. He he does it by getting people to sit down at his table. And he changes the heart of a man by love and compassion. And that's what we need to do Restoration of this country will happen through the restoration of marriages and relationships around tables where values are true and coming through and being bled out of our lives. All right, you ready? This supremacy spirit, it's violent, right? There's there's this anger that boils up, there's this violence because one one race is better than another race. It's contempt for another person. You hang on to your seats. This isn't going to be fun. When you hold contempt for your spouse, it's the same spirit. And Dr. Gottman, he's even said, this contemptuous spirit that people have for one another, there's a violent undertone to it. The reason why there's domestic abuse is because there's contempt for the other person, because they think that they're superior to their spouse. And so if you think that you're superior to the your spouse, you are not living a biblical marriage. If you view them as less than you, if you view them as spiritually more immature than you, you're you're completely missing the whole boat. Because what did we say? What did we say last week? The two shall become one flesh, right? Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor male and female, we are all one. So in marriage, you have to see each other as equals. That's tough, huh? And so when contempt comes in, contempt says, I am superior to you. Scary, isn't it? Because we can easily judge the Nazis and we can easily judge the Antifa whatever those guys are. But man, I think what God is really calling us into is that we just need to judge ourselves. Do we have this spirit of contempt? The same spirit where we think that we're better than others. Now, if in a contemptuous spirit you speak an evil word to your spouse or loved one and you destroy them, it, it does a lot of damage. It really does. You speak negatively to them, So what did we say last week? Like, if if you're bashing the person rather than the behavior, this is that contemptuous attitude. Like, you can be okay with, you can have a disagreement about, I don't know, how you take the trash out. But if you say you don't know how to take the trash out, you idiot, then it moves it into contempt, right? And so it is a projection onto the person. So those negative things are brutal and they're hard. They can be fixed, so there's good news, right? There's always good news. There's always hope. But here is where the hard work takes place. You say one negative mean thing to your spouse, it's gonna take five positive words to fix it. And and this is science. It's the five to one ratio. So, fondness, admiration, respect, Honoring your spouse as your equal, that requires a ton of hard. Work. You need to get the, the Philippians 4.8 principle into your head when you're dealing with your spouse. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is just and beautiful, you need to think about these things. And I'll push it a little bit further. You need to speak these things into your spouse. You need to speak life into your spouse. Uh, listen to this. This is crazy. Hebrews 3:13 but exhort one another what's exhort mean churchy word exhort encourage speak life into somebody exhort one another every day Every single day, God's command to us is for us to say something nice to somebody else, to lift somebody up with a positive, encouraging word. That's a command from God. Do we do that? When we get stuck into the mundane, day-to-day, everyday life, can we go a day without saying something nice? We shouldn't every single day. And We should build our spouse up every single day. Speaking life into them. Okay, and he says, as long as it is called today, as long as there is a day, we are called to speak life into those that we love. Second part of this verse that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if we are not speaking life, if we choose to stay stagnant to keep our good comments to ourselves, I don't know, maybe your spouse did something nice, but you choose not to praise them for it, you become like this stagnant lake, right? That's not good for you. Like, you may be holding a blessing from your spouse, but you choosing not to bless your spouse hurts you. It actually hardens your heart, and then you become more susceptible to sin. Sin creeps in. James one nineteen, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Uh, that's really important. In order to speak life, sometimes you need to shut up. Right? You talk too much. Listening is a sign of life. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then this one's amazing, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So in the heat of the moment, you gotta, like, this is what we've been talking about. We have to capture every thought, right? We have to hold every thought captive in our minds. So in the heat of the moment, this requires spiritual discipline. You have to capture that thought in the moment because you're gonna wanna spew out fire, but in that moment, you're gonna have to say, I need to be gentle in my response. In this conflict, I'm choosing not to be critical. A really fine line but so important and so powerful to get. All right, number three. Again, there's only three points to the four horsemen. There's actually a ton more, but we'll be here all day. Number four is that you need, this is actually, this one goes after the area of stonewalling. You need to turn towards your loved one, turn towards your spouse. So stonewalling is that emotional disconnection, right? It is like I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm spent, I'm going to disconnect, give me the remote. But that sucks the life out of a relationship. Now, those of you that have been married, you know this one. How many have had the same conversation over and over and over again, right? Is that just me? Or is that just, okay, thank you. All right. But you've, you've had the same conversation over, and it's like how many times we have to beat this dead horse, right? And again, this is for guys. I'm sorry I'm beating up on you, but this is just the way that we're wired. It's like, like we want to fix the problem. We're fixers, right? I already fixed that problem last week. Why are we talking about it again? Why are we digging up this corpse? I need to get stuff done. Quit bringing up the past. Hmm? Now, here's the thing that science has proven, and I believe that it's biblical too. It's not about the the problem. It's not about that question. It's not about that conversation. The conversation is completely irrelevant. It is the bid for connection that's that's what's going on. Like your wife already knows that you've already answered the problem. You're the answer man. She already knows that. She doesn't care about the answer to the problem. She's bidding for an emotional connection. That's what's going on. And so you have to choose whether you are going to tune in or tune out. I want to encourage you to have the conversation again. I know it seems like a broken record, but what you really are going after is the connection, the emotional connection. Connection, that bid. She's placing a bid out for you, and you have to take it. Does that make sense? And when you, when you do, then the connection happens. So you are, you're turning towards your spouse rather than turning away. And when you turn away, you break that bond. And what is really going on, doesn't matter how trivial the conversation is, it could be something as simple as, or something as complex as your finances and your, your, your plan for your future. It could be as complex as that or it could be as simple as driving to church and there's craziness going on in the car because you've got a bunch of kids and, and your spouse says, oh my gosh, isn't it a beautiful day? And you don't respond? I do this all the time. I just, i just be, I full-blown confess because I'm an only child. I have an active imagination. I know how to entertain myself. Most of the time, I'm daydreaming and I'm spacing out. That's just, that's just who I am. My mind is drifting off. Now, you ha- if your spouse says, what a beautiful day it is, at least grunt. That's that's something. At least give it a grunt, uh, yeah, at least do that. That it gets you at least a half a point. It acknowledges that you acknowledge her in that comment. But what it does is it builds equity in your emotional bank account. So you get a couple of points for acknowledging something nice that happens and maybe actually responding, but when the big conversations come up, you're like, you're fully engaged and you are inquiring. You're saying, honey, how does this make you feel? How does this, like, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? How are you different today than you were 15 years ago? And so you see? This begins to build social equity. And it is key, it is vital, it is powerful, it will save your marriage. Now, remember me saying that there's power in the tongue, right? To either kill or to give life and we get to choose. Here's the crazy thing about all this work that that they have done. There's actually power in your face. Like there is... Huge amounts of nonverbal communication that we just simply have to address. Mm-hmm. Okay, remember I said that contemptuous attitudes toward the spouse, 95% predictor of divorce. They pushed that study into nonverbal, just they just tracked the facial expressions of disgust. And they got the same number. I think this is probably the most practical thing that I can give you today. This is the one I want you to practice the most. Like, what you say with your face speaks volumes. And I'm just saying, like, you know you have to think about the words that you speak? I want you to think about what you do with your face. Like, if you're screwing your eyes up, if you're just like... if you're just expressing disgust towards your, your spouse, that's contempt. You're not saying it with words, but you're saying it with your face, and it's just as powerful, poignant, and destructive. Scary, huh? Isn't that scary? That they, just by facial expressions, they could predict Divorce. When we turn towards, when we begin to empathize, when we say, all right, I'm going to choose to emotionally connect in this moment, Galatians 6 says, bear one another's burdens. Honey, how can I help? What can I do to help in this situation? As so, as so to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, let's get into some fun stuff, and we'll wrap it up. So you got got the three points. What are they? You guys taking notes? What are they? What was number one? Okay. what was number two? Yeah, number three. Turn towards. Good job. They didn't get it for service. That's why I make it. They didn't. They're like, uh, what were those again? And like, obviously, I didn't do a very good job communicating. So there you go. All right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. This is for everybody today. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Skip down to verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Now that is past tense. Most of us, I believe, are saved by the grace of God. That means that you were once in darkness, past tense. Now you're in the light. Praise God. You are in the light. It doesn't mean all your problems are gone away. We've proven that with our divorce rates in Christian marriages. We'll get into the answer here in a second. For you are once in darkness. Verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what's going on in our world right now. Darkness is being exposed. It's a good thing. For it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, that's us. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We've already been pulled out of darkness. God is telling us to wake up. That's cool, I think. It's just, God's so patient with us, it's ridiculous. Be very careful then how you live, here we go, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So you are are in the light. That does not mean that you're wise. Wisdom is a choice. A strong marriage is a choice and it requires hard work, speaking life. You do one dumb thing, it's going to take you five good things to fix it. At least. <laughs> Down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh quoting Jesus this is a profound mystery can i get an amen, amen. no this marriage thing it is a profound mystery It is so profound that it is the best illustration that we have with the church. Part I didn't read, it says that uh, wives submit to your husbands, and it's an unfortunate word for our culture, we just don't like that. But what it's really saying, what it is really communicating in the whole context of this is wives respect your husbands, honor them, Uh, husbands, love your wives, and give them everything. Sacrifice your very will for their well-being. It's just quite, frankly, impossible. (laughs) It is a huge mystery for us to live in such selfish ways, to put others above ourselves, to honor and respect when we don't necessarily feel like it. But this this is what the Word of God says. And psychologists have proved that if we apply the principles we can have a healthy marriage but what the word of god says if you follow these things if you apply these principles and if they're biblical and if and it is true will undo the works of the enemy of god and our lives will become a testimony And from last week's message, those demonic principalities that are behind those four horsemen that undo many a marriage will have the spiritual strength and ability to dismantle and strengthen them, can break spiritual powers that we inherited from our families. We can break curses that have been placed on us. Even negative words, we can just, they just be broken. So there's tools that we can do, but there's also a, there's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we get to partake in. It is a great mystery. It does require hard work, but for us it should be extremely easy. It's attainable. It's accessible. If we humble ourselves... If we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, if we put him at the center of our marriage, what does he say? Jesus says that my burden, my yoke is light. It's work, but it's not going to be that much hard work. He's here to make our yoke light. But it requires us to submit to his authority, both male and female. And again, we are equal in his sight. We are equal in his presence. There is no superiority complex going on. There should not be. If there is, we need to repent of that. I get the, the band to come up to the front. We're going to wrap up. And so I, I would say, again, the most practical thing I would say is watch your mouth. Be conscious of your mouth. Be saying, okay, I'm going to hold every thought captive. Number two, watch your face. I don't know how you watch your face, <laughs> but be mindful. Be mindful of how snarky your face gets. Just be mindful of that. The non-verbals speak volumes. And I'm gonna push it into the spiritual one last time. You need to, you need to pray with your, with, with your spouse this week. Hit your knees. Make it when I need to pray more than we do. I'll admit that. But let's just move our marriages into the spiritual dimension and if you're new, if you're going to get married, I would to encourage you to do that too. Start off right. I think everybody in the room is going to say, yeah, you need to start off right, right? You will avoid lots of pain, hurt. If you just say, all right, we're one flesh. We're in this together. We're a partnership. And frankly, we're doing it for Jesus. The ministry mindset in marriage. Would you stand with me? I have a... Benediction for you, a blessing for you. This is Romans 15 5. May the God of endurance, isn't that cool? God of endurance, he, he doesn't run out. And the God of encouragement, that's our God. He's here to encourage you today. He grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. So Heavenly Father, right now I just pray that we will receive this blessing from you today, that we will be encouraged from the God of encouragement, that we will choose to move into harmony with one another turn towards each other. We'll find words of affirmation towards one another. God, right now, I just pray you just do a deep work in our lives, in our inner lives, God. I pray that we'll be able to discover our spouse once again, find out who they really are. Give us the ability to empathize for them in your name.